0: was new to me, but it reminded me of the truth, that Jesus is enough, and all that this world has to offer, it's going to fade away, and we'll have Jesus at the end, and he is enough. Before we get going here with the sermon, uh, we're going to dismiss children for children's church, that's ages 4 through 1st grade and you can follow the Denny family out this north door so priorities priorities are things that kind of change as we do you know as kids our priorities are maybe catching Saturday morning cartoons or what have you maybe it's the internet now, I don't know. But as you grow older, your priorities change, right? Say if you get serious about sports, and you're trying to make a, a high school team, then your priorities change. Your time in preparing to try and make that team, they, they get involved. You know, If you're going to play like a fall sport, you can forget about a summer vacation in like August, right? Forget about it. Because that's when the tryouts are. You've got to be there. You've got to be working hard. You've got to be working on your strength and conditioning. You've got to give yourself to that team. Maybe change your diet. And then maybe if you grow up and you join the military, well then your priorities change. There they change them for you. Actually, you know, I was just reading online this week. If you join the army and are in the infantry. Basic training has gone from 14 weeks to 22 weeks, and your life is not your own. Basically, they tell you when to get up, what to do, what to eat, when to do everything. You can't have contact with your family, say, by writing letters. And then when you graduate, they tell you where you go. They tell you what you're doing. They're the ones, you listen to your commanding officer, they're the ones that tell you what your priorities are. And you may actually end up giving the ultimate sacrifice in your life. Your priorities change there. If you get married, your priorities change there too, right? You can't come and go like you did as a single person, at least if you want to stay married. No, the two have become one. You have to... Sync your calendars and say, what are we doing on this time, at this date? Some of us, our priorities are dictated by our job, by the schedule, by deadlines. They don't care that your child has a, a choir concert on a certain date. I say, no, this is when this needs to be completed. This is when that needs to be done. There are a myriad of things that are competing for our priorities. Jesus, the Messiah, has come to bring his kingdom, to give us life, and to change our priorities, if you will, to set us free. And today Jesus is going to address a people, a group of people who are looking to follow him. And basically he's going to lay out in no uncertain terms what the priority is. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to get right into it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Again, that's Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. I'm going to read the, the passage here for you. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, Brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up Everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Question. Are any of you challenged by these words? Anybody? If you're not, you're either not listening or you don't care. So let me pray, and then we'll get back to God's Word. Lord Jesus, these are indeed challenging words, and they challenge us in what our priorities are. And so, Lord, we want to uh, come to you. We want to have ears to hear. We want to listen to what you're saying. We want to apply them. So we pray that you would do your work in our hearts and help us to receive what you have to say. And not only just to hear them, but to live them out. Because they are words of life. So Lord Jesus, do your work among us, we pray. And it's in your name we do pray. Amen. First thing I want you to know is Jesus is walking along with a group of people who want to follow him. They're thinking about, what does it mean to follow him? And it's really interesting. You would think, you know, if you're a, a political strategist or, a, or, a, or even a speech writer, you think, okay, Jesus, this is your opportunity to, to really capture the momentum. you got these people following you. Right? But he seems to do the opposite, He spells out what it seems like in extreme terms what it means or what it costs to follow him. And here's the big point that comes throughout this whole thing. Jesus has to be the priority if we want to follow him. If you don't remember anything else today, remember that. Jesus has to be the priority if we want to follow him. But you know if if you've been following the scriptures this is really not a new idea Jesus just gives different language to it You see when God called his covenant people together he said this you shall love the lord with all your heart soul mind and strength with everything you got everything Not just some stuff, everything. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, the Messiah, the one who is going to be the author of salvation, the object of our faith, he reframes this in a new covenant setting. But by the way, here's something I also want you to notice as we go through these things. Is that everything Jesus demands of us, he does himself. He pays the price himself. So, number one, Jesus has to be the priority over our families. Jesus has to be the priority over our families. Back to verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, you have to know that this is a Hebrewism, Hebrewism. Jesus is not calling us to hate, per se, maliciously, our our family of origin. He's not calling us to uh, have harmful thoughts or actions toward them. Nor is he even calling us to abandon them. During Jesus' ministry, Jesus corrects a... Wrong understanding of how to minister to family. God commands us in the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, to honor your father and mother. There were a group of super religious people who were saying, you know, Mom and Dad, the financial support you might get from me, well, it's it's going to the, the temple. It's going to God per se. And they called it Corbin. And Jesus says, you are not honoring God by doing that. Even the Apostle Paul will say a little bit later in his letter to Timothy, he says that if anyone does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, they they have denied the faith and they are worse than an unbeliever. But the reason that Jesus does this is because even though God made the family, and it's the place where we grow up, we learn right from wrong, where we even have a sense of what authority looks like and even experience the love of God. It needs to guard us from idolatry of the family. You see, the family can have a lot of influence for good or for bad. It's true then, it's true now. But it cannot be the primary guiding influence in directing the Christ follower. Jesus has to have first allegiance. Whether that's you putting your faith in Christ and your parents are not Christ followers. What does one do if one grew up in a Muslim household or a Jewish household or an atheist household? Your allegiance is now to Christ, not to your parents, not to that family of origin. But it can also be true even if your parents are believers or it is a Christian household. There's an obedience to Christ, an obedience to his call. It keeps us from making our family a God. Parents over children. Abraham, who we call famously the father of the faith, He waited a hundred years to become the father of the child of promise, Isaac. And what does God do 12 years later? Okay, Abraham, now that you have this child of promise, he's 12 years old, I want you to take him to a place where I'm going to show you and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Now if you know the rest of the story, it is, you know, an act of faith. And it, Isaac says, uh, Dad, we have the fire, we got the, we got the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And at the last minute, God does. But God tests Abraham's heart to see if he loves Isaac more than he loves God. Folks, we can't make idols out of our kids. We can't make idols out of our children Expect them to do our wishes, our desire. You know what? If your child is a Christ follower and they grow up, God may call them to move away from you, to serve Him someplace else, even overseas. They won't be home for Christmas. Can you trust God with your child? God gives us his command so we won't make an idol of our children. And there's another way also. Children over parents, if you will, where the children hold sway over the parents in an unhealthy way. Eli was the high priest during the time of Samuel. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And they were wicked men. In doing the ministry of the tabernacle, they were sleeping with uh, temple servant women there. They were pilfering whatever pieces of meat they wanted from God's sacrifices. And God says to, to Eli, who didn't chastise them, who didn't deal with this, "You honor your sons more than me." Here's the point: We need to love our kids. But we can't justify our children's sin or rebellion and ignore God's word. Whether that's something like sexual immorality or theft or financial or abuse or pride, whatever it is, we can't say, oh, that's okay. It doesn't matter. We give that a pass. Just because we love our kids. We love our kids, but we have to say, you know what, this is not right in the eyes of God and I'm not going to be a part of that and Jesus dealt with this himself his family tried to, to kind of hold sway over him in fact there was a moment in, earlier in the gospel of, of Luke where you know his family is, is waiting for him outside after a ministry moment he says who is my family my family are those who take my word and follow me That's my family. He chooses the family of faith over his own earthly family. And if you know Jesus' story, even his own brothers didn't believe him during his earthly ministry. Now, Actually, a couple became strong believers and strong leaders, but during Jesus' earthly ministry, he said, No, I'm identifying with the mission of the Father, not not the, the will of my family. Again, we should love our family members, we should serve them sacrificially, but our first priority, our first allegiance needs to be to Jesus, who is God and who is a Savior. Number two, Jesus has to be the priority over our own lives. Again, at the the end of, of of verse 26, Jesus says, yes, you even have to hate their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple, and anyone who does not carry their cross and, fo- and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now when Jesus says to hate your life, that doesn't mean you've got a bad job and you say, I hate my life. That's not what he's talking about. Okay? What he's talking about is being willing to sacrifice, suffer, and in this life, for your faith in Christ, even unto death. This cross behind me, it was not a decoration in the first century. It was an instrument of shame, humiliation, and execution. No one wanted to be associated with a cross. Everyone wanted to stay as far away as they could from a cross. As I said, what Jesus exacts of us, he exacts of himself. Every week I've been saying Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. He is heading toward the cross where he will go up on the cross and identify with our sin, our shame, our punishment and die on the cross in order to take away our penalty. He will also rise again. So he's calling us to faith, to identify with him, willing to suffer in his name and for his kingdom. Isn't it interesting that the cross is the symbol of Christianity? It's the symbol of following Jesus. And it's not some morbid, masochistic kind of thing. No, it's really identifying and living the reality of the resurrection that comes afterward. Because what Jesus is saying is this life is not all there is. There's something that's so much more. And those of us who put our faith in Christ, because Jesus has risen from the dead, so shall we. Because Christ has risen, so shall I. And because Jesus has risen, you or I don't need to fear death. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at the history of Christianity, many followers of Jesus have given their lives for their faith in Jesus Christ. I think of Stephen, in the book of Acts, who was stoned to death for Jesus. As you know world history? In the first century, many Christians were burned to death by Nero, or put in the, the Colosseum to face lions. Missionaries. More recently, I think a couple years ago, 30 Egyptian Christians gave their lives. They were killed, decapitated, instead of renouncing Jesus. And even this month, I just received an email from the Voice of the Martyrs, a pastor in India. And I want to read his name because I I want us to remember him. His name is Pastor Siani, And he was preaching the gospel in his village and the surrounding villages. And there was a communist extremist group in the area who told him to stop preaching the gospel. And his allegiance, his priority was more to Jesus than to his own life. And they came to his door, apprehended him, took him out into the woods. His wife and two children followed and they strapped him to a tree and they cut off his head in front of his family and his children. And I'm not telling you this just to sensationalize it. I'm just telling you that was the cost. But that's because he counted Jesus as a greater priority than his own life. And even though his body is dead, he is more alive now than ever. You know, here in the United States, we don't live under the threat of losing our life for our faith in Christ. But it will cost us something. There will be some sort of a cross to bear, whether it's your career, if you stand for Christ, or your reputation, perhaps opportunities, perhaps relationships and friends. I'll tell you what, it's not popular in culture to be a Christian, It might even be your life. But the truth is, persecutors can't really take our lives anyway. Christ, who is the resurrection and our life, holds our lives in, our, in his hand. Many of you are familiar with the missionary Jim Elliot, who was seeking to reach the Aka Indians back in the late 50s. And he ended up losing his life to try and reach them. And years later, his family actually moved in with that group of Indians who took his life and the gospel spread. But he said this, and many of you know this quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. To put in the words of our Lord Jesus, Luke 9, 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. You have to hate your life, if you will. And there's another form of hating your life or taking up your cross. And that is to no longer live for yourself, if you will. You see, Jesus didn't come to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise or to make our dreams come true, or us to reach our full potential even. Rather, he came to save and redeem us, to make us his new creation, so we might live for something greater, and something that will last so much longer than the reality of this life, to live for him and his kingdom. The Apostle Paul puts this very succinctly in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verse 15. Talking about Jesus, he said, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And this leads to the next priority. Jesus has to be the priority over our own plans. Let me read verses 28 through 32. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower while there is still well, it is still a long way off, and will ask for terms of peace. Jesus is saying, "Look, you need to consider this. You need to think this through about what it means to follow me. It doesn't just consist of praying a prayer, or raising your hand, or even making a profession of faith." It's about giving your entire life to Him. Everything. All. And it may cost you. Jesus uses two examples. The thought of building a tower. We're not talking about some little storage shed in the back. We're talking about a major, major structure undertaking. Okay, whether it's an addition to a castle or a watchtower in a field, but it's a major undertaking. And so you can't go on just living life like normal. You have to think about, where are my finances going? You can't just like kind of keep going to Home Depot and coming back and forth and saying, hey, how are we doing? I don't know, going back. And then suddenly deciding, oh, my credit limit is gone. I'm out of funds. I can't pay for this. This is not what's going on here. No, you have to decide... What are my priorities? Where do I need to cut back in one area in order to fund this area? Give it plans, time, and attention. Yes, it will cost you to follow Jesus. It will cost you. You have to come in submitting your plans, if you will. You know... Being a pastor was not my first choice of, of jobs. If you know my story, I went to college to be an actor, a director. And through a ser- series of circumstances and just realizing kind of what an ungodly world that was. And, and by the way, I don't want to uh, impugn anybody who's gone on in that, in that area and is a Christian is looking to make a difference there. It can be a powerful medium. I, it just wasn't for me. And I had to set that dream aside. And on the way, the Lord used that to call me into ministry. But I had to submit my plans to the Father. Just as Jesus submitted his plans to the Father. And by the way, I don't look back and go, woulda, coulda, shoulda. I am grateful that God has called me into the ministry. It's a privilege, not a right But what a great thing I have an opportunity to invest in. But I want to say, we have to submit those plans to him. The other example he uses, fighting a war. 10,000 men against 20,000. It seems like you're under-resourced. But here's what I want to say. God has a great track record of defeating overwhelming odds. If you read through the Old Testament over and over again. My wife wants me to preach a whole series on Old Testament battles and it's uh, it's almost the same scenario. God's people are overwhelmed by overwhelming odds and then God shows up and just kicks tail. And here's what I want to say to all of you. I want you, when God is calling you to do something, to move into something, I want you to pray, Lord, don't let me limit you by what I think I can do. Lord, don't let me limit you by what I think I can do. When I got called to the ministry of being the senior pastor of this church, it was overwhelming. I could see my own deficiencies. I could see all the reasons why I should say no. But I prayed, Lord, don't let me limit you by what I think I can do. But you have to realize you're going to war. And war is costly. War is costly. And sometimes you suffer short-term losses. <laughs> many of you know I'm a Civil War fan. When, you, when U.S. Grant became the commanding general for his, his area, he was called a butcher because he sent so many men who died but the reason he had success because he was willing to take those losses. And they were hard losses. In the same way you may suffer some short-term losses. That's because war sometimes makes us suffer those losses. But in the end, you recoup the victory. War is also not fair. War is not fair. Oftentimes there's no there's no rules to war. You know, in the war against terrorism... Terrorist groups, oftentimes, they'll shield themselves behind human shields, right? They'll move into a town of innocent civilians. And they'll shoot and say, okay, come and get us. And because, you know, at least the United States has a policy of trying not to kill innocent civilians, they feel like their hands are tied behind their back. You know what? Our spiritual enemy, Satan, uses the same attack He hides behind human shields. He influences them maybe to to criticize or be unkind. And we can end up seeing them as the enemy. But we have to realize our war is not against flesh and blood. But war is not fair. It's not fair. And it's all-consuming. You know, if you're in a war, you're in a battle... There's no days off. The enemy says, oh, Christmas? I'll give you Christmas off. No problem. No. War is all consuming. He comes, it's relentless. So Jesus is not urging us to make peace with the devil. Rather, he just wants to let us know, look, you are living in a war zone. And he gets the victory. He wins the victory. But he says, look at your life, look at your plans, look at what you want to do, where you're going to live, what things you want to experience. Is it all submitted unto the king who calls you into battle? Consider the cost. What will you need to serve him? Maybe you'll need different training. You'll have to... to do that. Maybe you need to, to relocate. Here's something I th- think is true of many of us, though. We need to stop living like civilians. Here's what I mean. We can't live like we can do whatever we want if we're following the Lord Jesus. This is a war whether you like it or not. So you might as well get busy fighting the battle and living like it. Have you submitted... Your plans to the king. Have you made his plans your priority? And last of all, Jesus has to be the priority over our possessions, verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Jesus is combating the, idol- the idolatry of possessions, That is, the more stuff we have, the more life we think we have. And Jesus has said a couple things about this. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. And earlier he said in Luke 9, 25, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your very soul? He's trying to release us from that idolatry. And because we live in an affluent society, we have a lot of stuff, we still have a tendency to want to hold on to it. Because we think that's where we have life. We forget that everything we have is from him, it's all his. And our possessions, by the way, are temporal. They can be taken away, they can be lost, they can be stolen, they can be whisked away by a tornado. And they will wear out and rust. And none of us are leaving this earth with them. See, Jesus wants to take our earthly wealth and translate them into currency for the kingdom. Whether that's funding ministry and missions that promote the gospel, meeting the real needs of the poor and the outcast in Jesus' name so they have ears to hear, or just showing compassion. Jesus wants to help us invest that way. Many of you know I'm friends with Tom Trasinski, the director of Minnesota Adult Team Challenge here. And we were talking about this sermon. He said it really boils down to this. We need to worship God. We need to love people and we need to manage things. Worship God, love people, and manage things. Oftentimes we get it out of whack. We want to manage God, so He'll give me what I want. And we worship people because we think they have what we want. And we love things. Because then we think we have life. And yet Jesus said in Luke chapter 16 verse 13, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve them both. You're going to be double-minded. You're going to hate one and love the other. And again, Jesus is trying to wean us from being possessed by our possessions. I came across a a great quote this week. Listen to this. This is by a French philosopher named André Gide. He says, All you are unable to give possesses you. All that you are unable to give possesses you. Is there something in your life some possession, if Jesus asked you to give it away, you'd kind of go, uh, no, can do. Because I really like that coat. I really like that car. Jesus is trying to set us free from that. Can we say in our hearts, Jesus, you are the priority, and everything I own is yours to use as you see fit. Now here's the crazy thing. You know, I know when you talk about money in the church, sometimes people think you're trying to fleece them. and like, Pastor, you just want more money. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm trying to be faithful to Jesus' words. By the way, Jesus doesn't need our money. He doesn't. He owns it all, and he can get it to where he wants to by his will. Rather, he generously includes us in building and investing in his kingdom. He generously includes us to do that. And it gives us eternal reward. It's kind of God's 401k program, if you will. But he allows us to do that. But ultimately, he's trying to set us free from the idolatry of our possessions so that our possessions don't possess us, if you will. Jesus has to be the priority if we want to follow him. So last of all, we are as salty as Jesus is our priority. We are as salty as Jesus is our priority. Verse 34, 35. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is neither fit for soil or for the manure pile, and it is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Salt in the first century was used for multiple means. First of all, it was actually, for some of was a means of payment. How it could be used. As a preservative for meat. It could also be used, as we use it, to salt food, to give savor to it. But Palestinian salt crystals can tend to leach off their saltiness. And listen to the words of what Jesus says here. If it loses its saltiness, literally that translates to, if that salt becomes dull or foolish. If that salt becomes dull or foolish, it becomes of no use. So if we allow other things to take priority, whether that's family or relationships, our own life and well-being, self-preservation, our will, our plans, our desires, or our wealth and possessions, it can leach off our saltiness, if you will. We become dull and foolish, unable to season, if you will, those around us to influence them for the kingdom. We lose our preserving Impact on the culture. And if you notice there, it's neither good for the soil or the manure. I was kind of checking out what that meant. Actually, putting in salt in in the ground and actually in manure actually could be used as a fertilizer if it had some salty properties to it. But if not, it got thrown out. It was ineffective. It was useless. If Jesus is our priority, that's when we become salty. That's when we have an impact on this world. Jesus has to be the priority in order for us to be salty and influencing. And then Jesus says this, whoever has ears, let him hear. And I'm going to say it again, whoever has ears, let him hear. I don't know how you're receiving this message. But Jesus says, you need to hear it. You need to take it in. You need to ponder it. You need to work this out in your own heart, in your own life, in following me. These are words of life. The paradox of following Jesus is this. It costs you nothing because Jesus has paid the price on the cross and has risen from the dead, but it costs you everything. It costs you everything. Everything. Are you overwhelmed by what I've shared today? So is your pastor. So is your pastor. But I want to again remind you what I said earlier don't limit God by what you think you can do. Because Jesus says, No, I want to come and live in you and do it through you, through my Holy Spirit. Of course you can't do it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Of course you can't. And I don't want you to mistake and somehow we're paying Jesus back for what he did on the cross. That's not what's happening here. No, we're just trusting him with everything in our lives. Jesus is not looking to be just hard-nosed, hardcore kind of guy. Again, he's trying to set us free from the things we would naturally put our faith in we naturally give priority to and look to those things to give us life but they leave us wanting they can't deliver and Jesus wants us to find life in Him the one who is the way the truth and the life the one who is apart from Him we have no good thing to know Him to know Him even in our sorrow and suffering There is no greater thing. So is it going to cost you something? Absolutely. Well, let's face it. Everyone in this world is setting priority and sacrificing for something. Many of you know my dad was an Olympic athlete. He sacrificed many hours to win a bronze medal. Is it doing him any good right now as he died four years ago? no but you know what is doing him good everything he invested in his life in following Jesus if there's anything worth giving priority to anything worth sacrificing for it's Christ and his kingdom in closing let me read these words as the worship team makes their way up here these words of a man who sacrificed and suffered greatly for his faith in Christ in fact he gave his own life For Christ, he said this, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only me, but also all who have longed for His appearing. Jesus is calling us to make Him our priority. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, uh, Your words challenge us. But I thank You that we're not left alone You didn't leave us with these words just to work it out ourselves. You've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so would you give us grace to respond to his promptings, to say yes to you, to make you the number one priority in our life over everything, even the good things in life. Because only in you is true life. And even if we would lose our life for you, we find it. So Lord, as your word has said, He who has ears, let him hear. Help us to hear what you're saying to each one of us today, to make you the priority. So in your name I pray these things. Amen.